Uh, good morning, church. I trust that we are all doing well. It's getting colder by the day. Uh, I know some of us are watching from different states, so depending on your states, where, where we are, it's getting colder by the day. Uh, but we are grateful uh, that this is also the Sunday before uh, Thanksgiving. I hope you guys are looking forward to it. Amen. Uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. I pray that you will speak through me, Lord. I pray that you will think through my mind, O oh Lord. And most importantly, I ask that the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the scriptures, will be in control, will be in charge of the service. Father, we thank you for transformative preaching. We thank you for effective preaching that will make tremendous impact and tremendous effects on our lives after exposing ourselves to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are continuing our series on the book of John, The Lordship of Christ. And this is our 65th installment. I'm ministering under the sub-theme, Greater Works. Turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. John chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. I'm reading. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Last week, we ended at verse 11, where Jesus was talking about the coexistence relationship between God the Son and God the Father. And he was talking about that because he was stressing if the, the disciples don't believe in him, they should at least believe his works. And in verse 12, we see that Jesus started by saying, surely of a truth. That's the meaning of the word, most assuredly. You know, another, another favorite word for that is verily, you know. And it is an expression of absolute trust and confidence without a shadow of doubt. You know, Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. He is truth personified. And the truth personified is saying verily, verily, or most assuredly. I think even if he doesn't use those phrases, just him being truth should be enough guarantee for us that Christ will not lie. But funny that he is the truth and he is using these certain terms most assuredly. And Jesus was saying that if we believe in him, the works that Christ do, we will do also. This was addressed to his disciples. But ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you that you and I who have also received Christ are his disciples. So this goes beyond the disciples and is addressing us. 
Jesus is saying that verily, most assuredly, certainly of a truth, without a shadow of doubt, if you believe in me, that's the operative word here. You have to believe in Christ. If you believe in Christ, the works that Christ do, we will do also. Now, there is something I want you to notice particularly here. When you read verse 12, there is a phrase there, the works that I do. Now, Jesus was not expecting his disciples to disband after departure. He was expecting them to carry on his work and even in greater magnitude. He, he just didn't want them to carry on his work, but he also wanted them to do it in greater magnitude. Now, the disciples, they knew what works Jesus was talking about because they were in the know. If, if you read the Bible carefully, you will realize that uh, Jesus commissioned and charged them to do likewise in his presence. But this time, the, the biggest difference is that they are going to do the same works that Jesus charged and commissioned them without his bodily presence. And Jesus is charging them that even though I will not be here in person in the physical shell, you will still do the works that I commissioned you whilst I was with you, and it will even be greater. Now, the question to you this morning might be, what works are, are Jesus, or what work is Jesus talking about? You know, when Jesus came on this earth, he did some things. He didn't do all things, but he did what he was commissioned to do. And for you to understand the works of Jesus, you, let's look at Matthew chapters 9 and 10. And I'm just going to pick just some few verses so that we can understand the works of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. What did Jesus do? He came as the son of God. What were his works? I think Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10, they just give us an overview of the works of Jesus. So I read Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So basically, if you look at the four books that talks about the historical Jesus, that's from Matthew to John. Basically, this is what Jesus was doing. If he wasn't teaching in the synagogues, he was preaching in the market square or in the open place, or he was healing and sicknesses and diseases or casting out devils. So these are works. And then when you read Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter says something. He added one. He says he was doing good. So these were his works, basically in the nutshell. If you, if you know about Jesus, anytime he's on the motion, anytime he's moving, he's either preaching in the open square or in the marketplace where crowds gather, and or he would teach them that he will go to the, 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 the temple on Sabbath or the synagogue, as it was called, teach them the word of God, or he will be demonstrating the Holy Spirit by healing. 
and by casting out demons. Amen. And the Bible, and the Bible lets us know, like Peter said in Acts 10, 38, when he was given a testimony of Jesus, that Jesus did good. So in summation, this is what it means when the Bible lets us know the works of Jesus. Now I'll go to Matthew chapter 10. 10, next chapter. And then let's look at verses 5 to 8. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 to 8. Now, it's very interesting if you read Matthew chapter 9, because after Jesus had finished his activity, that's teaching in the synagogues, preaching and healing, the Bible lets us know that he saw a crowd and he had compassion on them because they were a crowd without a shepherd. And then Jesus exclaimed, the popular phrase, I think if you, are, if you have been in the Christian circles for some time, you may have heard it. Um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, but therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers. And Jesus took action on that. Because of what Jesus saw, it informed how he behaved in the next chapter. In Matthew chapter 10, he now commanded his disciples and commissioned them to do the work. Why? Because of what he said in chapter 9. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus couldn't do it alone. It's like one person, if I'm going to do everything, I can't do it alone. So now he is going to charge the disciples to also embark on what we call the works of Jesus. And Jesus said something important. He said, if you want to be able to lay your sickle into the harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers. And Bible has it on account in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus spent all night not some few hours, all night. So basically, he, he, he just didn't sleep. He spent all night praying in choosing his disciples. So what Jesus was doing was in line with Scripture. He had prayed, and, and, and he had selectively picked these 12 people to be part of his team, who he was going to train and going to mentor them into doing what we call the works of the Father, which is also known as the works of Christ, to effect change in society. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 to 8. These 12 Jesus sent out, commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. So when Jesus now in John chapter 14, verse 12 was saying that, Verily, verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, the works that I do, you will do also. The disciples were not in the dark. They knew what works Jesus was talking about. But then Jesus said something. He said, 
greater works than these you will do. Now, the big challenge for the disciples was they did this in the presence of their master. Now, they are going to attempt to do these same things, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons in the physical absence of their master Jesus. That's a challenge. And then now for Jesus to blow their mind, he's saying that what you will do, greater works than these you will do. So Jesus didn't just end his statements with works, but he talked about greater works. Now, the question at hand this morning is, what are greater works? Now, when Jesus talks about greater works here, he is not talking about works that are greater in value or significance. That's not what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says that greater works than these you will do, it doesn't mean that what the disciples will do, it will be more valuable and more significant than crisis. It's not. It holds the same value. It holds the same weight. It will be on the same scale. It will have the same significance. But when Jesus talks about greater works, Jesus is talking more about scope and numbers in that respect. Jesus is talking about scope and he's talking about numbers in that respect. So when Jesus is talking about greater, he's not talking greater as in greater in value, greater in significance. Because what Jesus did, what the disciples did, what believers of today are doing, it holds the same value, it holds the same weight, it holds the same significance. So that's not what greater is about. Greater here is talking about scope and it's talking about numbers. So, for example, two instances. Christ's earthly ministry was limited to a few years. Christ did ministry for only three years. Christ lived on this earth for 33 years, and he did ministry from ages 30 to 33. That was it, and he was done. But what Jesus was talking about now, about the greater, was after resurrection. And like what Pastor Jessica was teaching us this morning at Bible study, after resurrection and the Pentecost experience, his ministry was and continues to be multiplied through spirit-empowered believers. That's what greater works is. So now, instead of the 12, and there may be just some selected few doing the works of Christ, that's preaching the gospel, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. Now, it's going to be a global army of believers who will join in the workforce in laying the sickle to the harvest that is plentiful. That is what is called greater works. It's not greater as in value or greater as in significance. It's talking more about scope. It's talking more about numbers. Jesus was saying that a time will come. It will not only be Jews who will be involved in preaching, or involved in casting out demons, involved in doing the works of the Father or the works of the Son. But Gentiles, people who are non-Jews, are also going to be involved. 
Amen. People in Ghana are going to preach the gospel. Amen. People in England are going to preach the gospel. It's Amen. not just going to be descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not only to only be people who are of Jewish blood, but anybody, flesh and blood. The Bible says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That scope is talking about that rich. It's talking about that numbers. A time will come everybody who has mentioned the name of the Lord qualifies to do these works. That's what Jesus is talking about, greater works. Amen. So greater works include preaching the gospel, which results in the blessings of justification. It results in the blessing of reconciliation. And it results in the gift of the Holy Spirit coming upon mankind. All this is post-resurrection. During the time of Jesus, and even when the disciples attempted ministry in the presence of Jesus, they were not justified. They didn't experience the phenomenon of reconciliation, and they didn't experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. All this had to happen because Jesus had to go. He had to go. He had to go. After he had resurrected, after the, they had experienced the Pentecost sensation or the Pentecost phenomenon, now it was possible to, for them now to experience what they call the manifestation of Christ's reign. And what was the manifestation of Christ's reign? Though he is not here visibly, he is here in spirit form, and he is here because the works of Christ are still going on. So that's the greater works. So when Jesus was talking about greater works, he had you and me in mind. Greater works was not just restricted to the disciples. If it was just restricted to the disciples, Christianity will not have the following it has today. But when Jesus was talking about greater works, he was looking at scope. He was looking at numbers. He was looking at a time will come. Gentiles, people who are not Jews, will also begin to pick up the Bible and begin to preach the Bible. The Gentiles who are not Jews will also begin to experience the gift of the Holy Spirit and they will begin to flow in the power and in the wisdom of God. Jesus said it through Joel, in the last days I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall see dreams. The Bible says, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. That's the greater works. Everybody is involved. So today, as you read this scripture, don't count yourself out. Jesus did not just preach this to a privileged exclusive. He didn't just preach this to a selected few. When Jesus was talking about greater works than these that he would do, he was talking about everybody who received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Because the harvest is indeed plentiful and the laborers are few. And for us to really take hold of the harvest that God has appointed and apportioned for us, we will need a large, vast of believers who are involved in the preaching of the gospel, who are involved in the works of Christ, 
laying on of hands on people, casting out demons, healing the sick. All of us have to be involved. That is what is called greater works. And Jesus said that you will do greater works than these because I go to my father. I have to go. And when I go, you will do greater works because I'm going to empower you by the Spirit. And Jesus was setting them up because in the subsequent verses, we are going to now see the person of the Holy Spirit and the role and the office of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't be involved in the works of the Father or the works of the Son without the presence of the Holy Spirit. So in our subsequent verses, we will know about the third person of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. Because that is for that reason, the Holy Spirit has been sent to every believer to enable us, to motivate us, to empower us to do the works of Christ or what I call the works of the Father. I hope we all understand this morning. So greater works will no longer be by his visible presence, but it will be by his Spirit. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, when on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. And then, you know, all together, they were 120 people. When the Holy Spirit descended upon them, they entered into what we call the era of greater works. And right after now, we are still in the era of what we call greater works. Amen. And like I said, you can't divorce the Holy Spirit from greater works. They are forever connected. Now, in verses 13 to 14, Jesus implored upon the disciples to have an active relationship with God the Father through prayer. And he says, when you pray, use my name. We can only go to God our Father in prayer through the name of Christ. That's why that name has been given to us. Because that is the way we gain access. And Jesus said that in John chapter 14, whatever you ask in my name, verse 13, then verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, Jesus is employing them to pray. Jesus is employing them to have a stronger relationship. Like when I go back to my father, have a stronger relationship with my father. And when you talk to my father, use my name. My name guarantees access. My name guarantees permission. It is through my name that things can get done in prayer. It is through my name that you experience the power and the potency of prayer. And I find it funny that when Jesus talked about greater works, that next verse, he talked about prayer. Greater works is best expressed in an atmosphere and climate of prayer. Greater works. To do the works of Christ, it is expressed in an atmosphere and climate of prayer. 
Now, to do greater works, still, it is best expressed in an atmosphere and climate of prayer. So, without prayer, without an active relationship with God in the name of Christ, believers, we will not be candidates of greater works. So, great works and things are achieved through constant prayer. So, from our verses read today, personally, I can see two reasons why believers aren't doing greater works. Number one, unbelief. Because Jesus said, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these you will do. God has destined every believer to do greater works. But the caveat to that this morning is that, do you believe? Believe. 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 If you believe in me. So if you're a Christian, if you are walking in unbelief, don't expect to walk in the dimension and in the era of greater works. And secondly, prayerlessness. Many Christians are prayerless. And how do I define prayerlessness? Personally, I define prayerlessness when you don't do it every day. I am prayerless. Do you know that you have to breathe every day in order to be alive? You can't breathe five out of seven. We will bury you. Or six out of seven days. Or 23 hours out of 24. You will be gone. So there are some people who will say prayerlessness means you don't pray at all. Personally, this is euphoria be rendered. Prayerlessness is when you don't do it every day. You are prayerless. And until you have that constant touch, constant fellowship, constant connection to God, our Father, through prayer, in the name of Jesus, you will not be a candidate of greater works. You see, Jesus didn't just end it on a high. Greater works than these you will do. Immediately, he added prayer to it. That now that you understand that you will do greater works, talk to my father in my name. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Prayer. So if we want to do greater works, we will have to be men and women of prayer. And prayer to me, it's not really about the form. Prayer to me is about reverence to God. Let me even say this as a charismatic, and maybe it's my even offer in charismatics. If you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't mean your prayer is not powerful. Believe God to speak in tongues. It's a gift. Desire for it. Go for it. But if you don't have it, 
that should still not stop you from having constant connection, constant communion with God through prayer. And that's why I say prayer is not about the form. Prayer is about the reverence you have to God, towards God. It's about the posture of your heart. That's what God looks at. One of the greatest men of prayer is called John Knox. John Knox was a Scottish. Once upon a time, the, the Queen of England at that time was called Queen Mary. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox than all the armies of United Kingdom joined together. I tell you, the only thing she feared in the whole United Kingdom was John Knox, a Scottish man. She feared John Knox more than Her Majesty's service. Because in, in Britain, the army, do you have to add HM to it, Her Majesty's? She, she feared, she feared prayers of a righteous man than all the armies of the United Kingdom joined together. And you know the interesting thing about John Knox? John Knox never spoke in tongues. For your information, never. Never spoke in tongues one bit. Some of the most powerful prayer people never spoke in tongues. But it doesn't eradicate the gift of tongues. It also doesn't downplay the gift of tongues. Tongue speaking and receiving the gift of tongues is a very powerful thing that I will encourage every believer to desire for it. But at this stage of your Christian life, if you have not even received the gift of speaking in tongues, that should not be an excuse not to have constant connection, constant fellowship, constant relationship with God through prayer. Because if you don't pray and maintain that connection to God, you can't be a candidate of greater works. So I pray in the name of Jesus that may we be free from unbelief and may we be healed from prayerlessness. Because when these two things are taken care of, you have been set loose to walk in an era of greater works. Let's close our sermon with worshiping the Lord again. Let's go.
Greater works it starts with pursuing God. Do you know who Jesus was talking to? He wasn't talking to the masses. He was just talking to disciples. So if you want to be a candidate of greater works, be a disciple. A disciple is one that follows hard after God. Pursue God. And one of the ways to pursue God is to worship him. Create that atmosphere that you will believe. Create that atmosphere that you will be prayerful. If, if you want to really be prayerful, start playing worship music. Start playing. For once, just put the R&B down. Put the hip-hop down. Put the jazz down. And start playing worship music. I mean, music is art. It's good to enjoy the art form. The music comes in different art form. But if you really want to come to a place where you have appetite for prayer, start playing songs like these. Don't wait till Sunday when you come here. Start playing them on your own. Develop that appetite, that motivation to pray so that you can be a candidate of greater works. Things that you read in the Bible, it just doesn't have to remain in the book. It has to leap off the pages of the Bible and it should be practical in your life. That is the essence of Christianity. That's what makes Christianity fun. But if you are just going to read it like a cool treatise or a history book, your, your days in Christianity are very numbered. And I pray that may we come to a place where we believe May we come to a place where we will devote ourselves entirely to prayer because we are motivated to pray. And as we do that, we will step into that era and into that flow where we can do greater works unhindered indeed for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Every church in this world has members. Because the harvest is plentiful. But are we going to allow ourselves to be tempered by the Holy Spirit that will allow ourselves to do greater works for him that will be able to catch that harvest that God has apportioned for us? I pray, O oh Lord, may we believe. I pray, O oh Lord, may we be infected with the virus of prayer. So most importantly, stay connected to you because it's people who have developed a connection that are candidates of greater works. Thank you, O oh Lord, that in this house of ICC, the few of us gathered here, we are candidates of greater works because we believe and we will pray in Jesus' name. Let this word be unto us according to our faith. Let this word be unto us and may it profit us because we have mixed your word with faith this morning. Amen.